caution. What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. Now, if you have not listened to the previous podcast, stop. Go back, download the previous podcast, listen to that. And then come back. Seriously. (laughs) Because this podcast isn't going to make any sense at all unless you've heard the one before this. We'll wait on you. We'll wait till you come back. If you're not familiar with our podcast, you will know that we never do our podcast in a studio. We don't have professional equipment. Matter of fact, I'm sitting uh, in a garden right now um, on an island in Stockholm doing this podcast with a simple recorder. Now, I'm not an investigator, and I do not solve crimes. But I wanted to point out the case of a guy that we are just referring to as his English name, which is Michael, who we shared about, who is from the nation where I'm sitting at right now, from Sweden. And he has written books, uh, a very well-known, notorious books about government officials inside of China that is really ruffling up some feathers. And while he was publishing those books and putting them out, there were several of the officials that he was writing about that were being arrested and thrown in prison for the rest of their lives. In one case, there was a wife of an official who was involved in the murder of a business partner, a British businessman citizen, Uh, And then tried to cover it up. And it was the writings like those from Michael that really highlighted some of the corruption that has been taking place at the highest levels of the Communist Party. So we know that several things are true about Michael. The one thing that we know is that he was at his vacation home in Thailand when he was met by someone who came to the apartment complex where he has an apartment on the 17th floor. There are a couple things that I think I might have misspoken on when it comes to his trial, or not his trial, his his case uh, as we've been reviewing it. And one of the things that uh, I had said is that he drove away in a white um, CRV SUV. And that is true. Um, but I I think that I did not indicate that that was his vehicle, as far as we know, that was his vehicle. The other thing was is that I said that his computer was left um, at his desk. It was actually his computer monitor 
as far as we know, the computer was taken by the four individuals that came. I watched a computer footage today of the four men who went to uh, get the computer from his home. They were only in there for a little over 20 minutes. Uh, they were in and then they were out. The box that I saw from the from the photo of his uh, apartment was a Hong Kong Speed Post box, but it had been ripped open from the side that I could not see in the picture. I was looking at the right side of it. The left side of the box had actually been ripped open where books had been taken out. And the computer had been taken with it. Now, there were four very shady characters. I would say that they were Chinese men that looked in their ages of late 30s, early 50s. Um, all of them looked to be a little bit overweight, quite pudgy for Chinese. Uh, they they uh, like pot bellies or at least one, um, you know, <laughs> one kind of in the making. They none of them seemed fit. So they, they the reason I point that out is because they don't look like they'd be running a a um, obstacle course at any CIA training camp. So these these didn't look like you know goons from the PSB. Um, but they they obviously were connected because they had access went in to a man's apartment that had been kidnapped abducted and were went in exactly for what they were looking for and right back out soon after michael was taken um he was shown on tv this year at the beginning of this year he was shown on china t chinese tv which confirmed the suspicions of many people that have been reviewing his case, which was he was abducted by the Chinese. Now, the Chinese have a different story, and so does the confession from Michael. Uh, Michael's confession can actually be found um, in full uh, on um, YouTube. Uh, I'm going to play the state TV confession that has been played. I'm going to um, uh, try to just interpret a little bit of it. It's only about a minute and a half long. Um, the interpretation has already been written out in English, and I'll just be reading the words as he's speaking. So this is his confession. He's saying, I'm a fugitive, and I can't return back. I wanted to see my family. They're already around 80 years old. He's starting to cry and break down. In 2015, my dad had cancer and passed away. I can't go back to attend the funeral. Afterwards, my mother also fell sick. Every day I was missing her. I want to see her while she's still alive. So I want to return to China to turn myself in. I want to shoulder my own responsibility. I'm also willing to accept any punishment. Returning to the Chinese mainland and surrendering my was my personal choice and had nothing to do with anyone else. I don't want any individual or institutions, including Sweden, to interfere in anything to do with my return.
So this was a part of his confession. It's not the entire thing, but it's about a minute and a half, and it's how he kind of starts off by saying that I am in China. I came to China. I came to China because my my family is passing away, and I miss them. And so he's kind of answering the questions to a lot of people out there that said that uh, he actually um, had been abducted and taken into China against his will. And the the China news um, that Michael came to China was about an incident that what he's talking about here uh, on the news um, interview that he's doing was in reference to a traffic accident that took place in 2003 in the city of Ningbo. Ningbo is a, um, a business center just outside of Shanghai. And it was there in 2003 that it was um, he has been accused of driving a vehicle drunk um, where a young college student female died. In August of 2004, according to the, the Chinese records that was being shared on this same China News interview, um, Michael was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and sentenced for two years in prison. But according to the news agency, Michael pretended to be a tourist, borrowed an ID card, and snuck into Hong Kong and escaped to Sweden. There's a couple of problems with this. One is that according to most human rights agencies around the world, no confession of this nature can be accepted at face value in China because it almost certainly was made under duress. It was made without any sort of Swedish uh, consulate representatives, which he is entitled to as a Swedish citizen. Um, it is also a release done by the government themselves with no sort of attorney or something that you would see in the West or a more democratic area. Also, the government news release puts Michael's age about five years younger than his Swedish passport says that he is. So there's a discrepancy there. The other thing is, is that he was working on a do-it-yourself project that was still on his kitchen counter at the time that he went missing. He had just went shopping for groceries and brought them back and never consumed them. And he had medication laid out for his entire week that he was not able to complete. So all of these things look a bit mysterious when he says that I just up and left to China. The other thing is, is that he did not take his passport. Within the video itself, there are some challenges when you watch it. The first thing that, that you'll notice if you go online and you see it, you'll see that at different points through the video, he actually has different lengths of hair. His hair is done in different ways. It's kind of disheveled, almost as if he's been um, laying down and sleeping and just kind of rolled over in the bed and did the interview. Uh, the other thing is that he's wearing a different undershirt, though it's very, it's not so noticeable. It's just, it's just a very small part of his clothing that you can actually see is actually wearing this this overcoat that looks a bit odd because it's uh it's gray and it looks as if it's like maybe cotton or wool almost like a like a an old shabby hobo um gray tweed jacket that uh, tattered and torn kind of thrown on him and so he's got a different undershirt uh, throughout the different parts of the video. You can see that his the undershirt underneath is different. 
The other thing is is that throughout the video, there are sometimes uh, portions where it's light and sometimes portions where it's more dark, which would indicate that maybe it's light outside during certain portions of the testimony and dark outside during certain portions of the testimony. So this has actually been pieced together over a period of time. And according to Reporters Without Borders, which is a group that has been watching this case very closely, China routinely forces confessions obtained from torture and distress, and the forced confessions have zero value in terms of innocent or innocence or guilt. So um, the, the, the claim that he makes that he willingly went into China does not seem legitimate when lined up with any of the facts that we see with the case um, regarding his disappearance. The other thing is, is that we look at this and we see that if Michael has uh, a discrepancy with his age, the, the, the news agency that's reporting that he was involved in this tragic uh, traffic accident that took the life of this young college student, could it be a, a situation where there's um, misidentity, a confusion in identity? And that was one of the things that I thought until I read a testimony from a personal friend of Michael, and who is also the president of Independent China's Chinese Pen, P-E-N, Beiling. He actually confirmed that Michael had been in Ningbo at the time of the traffic accident in question, and a young college girl did die from that traffic accident, an accident that... Um, uh, took place while he was in Michael was indeed intoxicated. But after the confession that took place in January, the Swedish officials from the embassy, they went to, to meet with Michael and tried to talk with him and counsel him, but they haven't been allowed back since. It is now July, so it's been six months, and he has not been able to meet with any of the people from the Swedish embassy or consulate, even though they have tried repeatedly to get in contact with him. Now, in Hong Kong, they have a bit of leverage, more leverage than they do in China. One of the reasons why is because most people may not know this, but Sweden, even though it is a smaller nation, it is actually... Um, number 11 in, the, uh, in order of the trading partners that trade with Hong Kong on an annual basis. Number one, of course, being China. Number two, being the United States. For uh, Sweden to be number 11, that's quite high on the list for a country that has um, an even smaller population than that of the metropolitan area of Hong Kong. So after the confession in January... In late February, the government came out and said that Michael was being held for illegal business in China. So now we actually see that there is a change in the charges. So we know that he was in Thailand and he was he he is no longer in Thailand. Whether he left or whether he was taken is up for debate. But it was a fact that he was in Thailand and now he is in China. And he is in, he has been detained in China. We know that now to be a, a fact because of the January confession that took place. So here we have Michael, whose charges is now... Um, that he is being held for being an illegal businessman inside of China. And what was his illegal business?
this is the important thing for us here at Back to Jerusalem. Because what he is being charged with is for distributing banned books that have not been approved by the government. They said that he has distributed at least 4,000 books to 380 buyers in more than 28 different cities. Have you heard of any ministries, any Christian organizations doing banned book distributions in China lately? That should shake the missionary community and wake them up because the books that are being distributed by Christians around uh, China every single day are considered to be banned. Now I know that there is uh, one of the largest Bible printers in the world in China. The Bibles that are being printed though, the majority of them are actually being printed not for China distribution, but for outside distribution. They do the Bible printing and distribution for the U.S., for uh, Europe, many different European nations. The Bibles that are needed in China are uh, more than what we can count. And the number that is being uh, printed and distributed in China legally does not even come close to meeting that demand. So what that has led to is an illegal distribution chain. And many uh, people that have been selling Christian books and distributing Christian books as well as Bibles have been put in prison. And we will talk about that in another episode following this one. But the reason I wanted to talk about this specific case is because it relates so closely to what we are seeing with the distribution of Bibles and Christian books. This just so happened to be an individual who was writing books that ended up being about the Chinese president. Because all the other books that he wrote about were other top officials, but the one that he was coming out with now was going to be about President Xi. Now, after Michael went missing, his colleagues, Louis Poor, Ching Cheping, also went missing almost at the same time. So they had gone missing after they legally crossed from Hong Kong into mainland China. Then days later, the bookstore for the Causeway Bay bookstore where uh, Michael had been working together with to do the distribution and the printing of his books. Days later, the bookstore general manager, Lam Wei Ki, also disappeared during a trip to the border city of Shenzhen. Shenzhen is just right across the border. It is like kind of a, a day destination um, for many shoppers uh, coming from the mainland into Hong Kong as well as Hong Kongers going into Shenzhen for a day trip of shopping. So it's both ways. You also have children that live in China but go to school in uh, Hong Kong because Hong Kong has a great educational system. And then you have Hong Kongers who have children going to school in the mainland because they're able to save money. So it's a two-way traffic, millions of people crossing on a daily basis going back and forth from Shenzhen into Hong Kong. So you had these three individuals that went missing around the same time as Michael. Right on the back of his disappearance in Thailand, these three 
colleagues also went missing. Now, there was a good friend of uh, Michael. His name was Lebo. And Lebo also worked for the Causeway Bay Book Company. And he also worked together with a publisher for doing the publishing. And Lebo is where things get interesting when we look at the life and the person of Lebo. He's a, he's a, he's a very interesting character because you can see that um, when, when uh, he comes out and he's speaking, he actually writes a, a letter because he's a friend of, of Michael and he, he learns about his disappearance, he contacts Michael's daughter because he realizes that there may not be anybody else that even knows uh, how to contact his daughter. So uh, Lebo contacts Michael's daughter and tells her that her father has gone missing. He's the one that encouraged her to file a missing person report so that she could look into uh, where her father had gone and, and, and why he's missing. Lebo sent an email saying that he believed that her father, Michael, had actually been abducted by special agents from China. It's interesting that Lebo is the one who says that as he sends the email to uh, Michael's daughter. He believes that special agents from China came in and kidnapped Michael and took him forcibly back to China. Now, force doesn't necessarily mean putting a bag over his head, beating him down, and then dragging him back. But we do see cases quite often where special agents are sent into other countries and bringing and repatriating them back for things that are needed, especially among the uh, communist bloc nations. In North Korea, just uh, within the last couple of months, we saw a situation where in the northeastern part of China, there was a Chinese citizen. So the Chinese have also been victims of this, um, where a Chinese citizen was abducted, a pastor. He was a Chinese uh, pastor of Korean descent, uh, but he was a Chinese pastor. Uh, he had been preaching to refugees who were coming across the border from North Korea into China, and he was helping them. And the North Korean government told him, knock it off. Stop working with these. These are illegal individuals. They need to be repatriated back to North Korea. Don't help them. You're only making it worse. You're only drawing them into China. And then, of course, what took place later this year was that um, a group of North Korean restaurant workers who were given a pass to go and work in um, China had gone missing. All of them together worked together and escaped from the restaurant where they were being held. Now, if you're not familiar, I just want to take a pause here and share this one little nugget that will help you possibly understand a little bit more about this story with Michael. When it comes to North Korea, we just did an article on backtojerusalem.com. Uh, you can find this about mid-July. Uh, mid so if you go back through the archives, if you're listening to this recording later, and if you look through the archives, you will find an article about North Korean exporting slaves. What North Korea is doing is they are involved in business because they are so hungry to get international currency, especially U.S. dollars. Not the fake kind that they used to make and they still are making, not the counterfeit U.S. dollars, but real hard, cold cash. 
So the way that they are doing that, because obviously nobody is directly investing in North Korea except for missionaries like like the, the guys that we're working together with. Instead, what they are doing is they are sending out basic slaves from North Korea who just want to get away from the oppression of the regime and they're willing to work for free day after day. So what they do is they are sent abroad and they usually have a team leader or a guard um, that watches over them and reports over everything about them. And these people, they work in uh, restaurants, they work in logging forests, uh, doing forestry work, doing working with the logging companies. Um, they do different kinds of jobs on a daily basis where they work sun up, sundown, they get paid nothing, all the money goes to the handler or the person in charge of them, kind of like a slave master. That person takes the money and then brings that money back to the regime in North Korea. Well, when those guys went missing earlier this year in 2016 from an operation in China, North Korea was ticked. They were so mad. So they really wanted someone to take their anger out on. And who better than a ethnic Korean pastor who's in China preaching to refugees who were trying to escape from the regime. So they went and grabbed this pastor and tried to drag him back to North Korea for questioning. He's not Korean. He is Chinese. He carries a Chinese passport. He's a Chinese citizen. He was born and raised in China. Probably never even been to North Korea. When he refused to go, they put an axe in his head. Um, they mutilated his face, and then they fled back into North Korea. It's a huge deal inside of China. Well, this is the same thing that we're seeing with possibly Chinese agents, which is what Li Bo told to Michael's daughter when he said, Hey, I think that your your father has been abducted and has been taken by special agents from the Chinese government. After Lebo sent that email to Michael's daughter, Lebo went missing. And it wasn't until Lebo went missing that the Hong Kong public really began to notice what was going on. You have five people, Michael and his four colleagues all working for the same bookseller in Causeway Bay, and they all go missing. One of them goes missing, Michael, from uh, Thailand, and the other three go missing after they cross the border into China, and then the fifth one. The straw that broke the camel's back was Lebo. Lebo went missing from his office in Hong Kong. He was last seen taking the elevator from his office down to the lower floor and his wife reported that he never came home that evening. Lebo's case drew a lot of attention because he disappeared while in Hong Kong, which was a violation of the one country, two systems where Hong Kong is allowed to have their own constitution that allows them freedoms that are not afforded to Chinese citizens on the mainland. And Hong Kong had to react and they had to react strongly, the Hong Kong citizens. They came out in massive demonstrations by the thousands and protests erupted on the streets of Hong Kong, especially right in front of the Chinese consulate in Hong Kong. 
The reason why is because Hong Kongers know that if China gets used, if they get comfortable with abducting people without anybody making a fuss about it, in Hong Kong, if China can freely come into Hong Kong and abduct who they will, nobody is safe in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong becomes just like any other Chinese city. And that's not what the Hong Kong people want. So they started to demonstrate on the road. And they were marching down the streets with huge signs and, and, and pictures of Lebo. Lebo also had one other thing that put a kink and a plan to abduct him and bring him into China. Lebo is a British citizen, carries a British passport, lives in Hong Kong, a former British colony, but he's also a British citizen. So some big questions kind of come. If we just do a quick review and we look at Michael, Lebo, and the other three colleagues, the, the five people that have gone missing from the Causeway Bay Bookseller Group, we, we have to ask some big questions here. Has China violated, number one, has China violated international law by kidnapping Michael in Thailand? They've gone into a sovereign nation, Thailand, and taken a citizen from a sovereign nation, Sweden, and then brought him back to China, which of course is not Michael's own testimony, but we all know that he made that testimony while under duress. The second thing that we have to ask, another big question, I feel, is has, is China violating international law by kidnapping a Swedish citizen? If they are willing to kidnap a Swedish citizen as well as a British citizen, Lebo, is there anybody that they will not abduct from Hong Kong or anywhere else inside of China and keep them for long periods of time without hearing about from them? Remember, Michael first went missing in October. It wasn't until three months later that he was even heard from on Chinese TV. And he was heard from in China in Chinese custody. The other big question that we have to ask is, has China violated international law by not respecting the right of Hong Kong publishers' freedom of press? The the, the Causeway Bay uh, publishing company as well as the booksellers, they have freedom of press and they are allowed by law to sell and distribute their books. And number four, another big question that we have to ask, has China violated its own law by not allowing Michael access to an attorney to have an open trial or even to let his family know where he's being held? In late February 2016, a mainland news agency said that Michael was being held for illegal business operations. Not because a young girl died, but because he was distributing books that were not approved by the government. Three of his partners also went missing. But after they went missing, interestingly enough... It wasn't long after that that they, three of them were broadcast on TV. The three that had crossed into Shenzhen and gone missing showed up on CCTV confessing their crime of smuggling books into China. And one by one, 
They all blamed Michael for everything. They were all filmed confessing that Michael had led them to do the things that they did and they regretted following him. Now remember, their testimonies had also probably been done from abuse. I'm writing a book right now about a Chinese pastor. He is the founder of the China Gospel Fellowship. And he talks about the ways in which the Chinese tortured him so that they would not leave any marks. One of the ways that they tortured him is that they would bring him outside during winter time in Hunan province. They stripped him of all of his clothes and had him on a chair, butt booty naked in the middle of November in Hunan province, and allowed him to go through different stages of hypothermia. This way they were able to torture him and bring him very close to um, um, getting sick or even dying of hypothermia before getting him to a warm place and, and letting him recover and then taking him out to do it again. <clears throat> it was a horrible way to be tortured. That was more than uh, almost 20 years ago. That was in the 90s. So I think that they've come up with new techniques since then and have most likely found ways to make people talk without leaving marks or letting people see that they had been abused. So three of the individuals who worked together with Michael are now on TV, all of them, one by one, confessing that they had actually been duped by Michael himself. So now they are all accounted for. Now we're just m missing Liebel, the friend of Michael. Michael has been accounted for. We know that because of the recordings on TV, he was in China under custody. Now the other three colleagues have also been accounted for. In February, they were all giving their testimony on TV about how Michael had misled them. A day later, after they gave their interview, Lebo himself shows up on TV. The very first thing that he says is that, I renounce my British citizenship. He had to do that. That, because if he says he renounces his, his British citizenship in the minds at least of the Chinese government, that removes the British government from being involved in this case. I don't know the legality of that. I don't think that you can show up in, under duress on a TV camera and, and people have suspicion that you've been abducted and abused. And all of a sudden they say, well, now, he's, never mind, he's not a British citizen. He just said he doesn't want to be a British citizen. He's right there on, on camera saying that. I, I don't think it, it works in that kind of banana republic way. But you never know what people are thinking on the other side of that camera in China when they're trying to extract information as well as interviews. But he insists, the same as Michael, that he was not taken from Hong Kong, but he himself smuggled himself into China to help an, with an unnamed investigation. And by the end of March, Li Bo returns to Hong Kong, a free man or at least it seems that he's a free man, uh, he, and says that he is no longer in the publishing business. 
But it was very interesting because the whole time that he was speaking, he was smiling, but there was a mysterious man beside him wearing all white who was clearly in charge of the entire operation. He pulled him into a black van, a black van that is very uh, common inside of China. If you ever go from the Hong Kong airport to the Shenzhen airport, you will uh, you can take what's called a limousine service. Now, it's not an actual limousine. That's just what they call it. It's, it's actually a Toyota van. It's black. You see them all over. You can go to Terminal 2 at the Hong Kong International Airport, and you will see these black uh, vans that they call limousine service. You get in those, and what they do is they drive you to uh, Shenzhen without having to get out and walk across the border. You stay in the car. You drive up to um, the immigration desk, kind of like crossing the border between America and Canada. You stay in your vehicle, and you do the immigration from inside the vehicle. He was in one of... Libo was taken in one of those vehicles, and he was... Um, dr they drove across. The guy in the white jumpsuit was overseeing everything that was taking place with Lebo <coughs> and approving what he was saying and, and trying to shield him from all the cameras. So Michael is now on his own. It seems that uh, Lebo and the other gentlemen all... Um, kind of leave Michael to dangle by himself, not by choice. I I can almost promise. I, I can't say with 100% certainty, like I said, I'm not a professional investigator, but having lived in China and worked in China long enough, I can tell you that they did not give those questions with lollipops and uh, promises of Disney vacations. Those, those interviews that they did were more than likely done uh, under with in distress. So the question is, where's Michael now? Well, his daughter um, came before Congress and did an interview. Uh, this is uh, the beginning of her time uh, with Congress. I'll just let you listen to this before we wrap up this podcast. This is Michael's daughter. Um, taken before the United States Human Rights Committee in Congress to testify about what has happened to her father um, from his abduction in uh, from Thailand. Mr. Chairman Smith, um, Mr. Co-Chairman Rubio, members of the CECC, thank you for inviting me to testify at this very important hearing and um, thank you for the concern this com uh, commission has shown for people like my father who are being persecuted by the Chinese government in China and now increasingly abroad. As a university student, I never, th I never would have thought I'd find myself testifying in front of the US Congress and certainly not under circumstances like these. However, on October 13th last year, I had my last Skype conversation with my father. Living in different places, we used to call each other on Skype regularly. I would tell him about how my studies were going, and he would tell me about work and how I was trying to get back into shape. Our last Skype call wasn't very different. He had been renovating his kitchen in Hong Kong and sent me pictures of what it looked like, saying he would show me in person when it was finished. We made plans to speak again in a few days, but then he stopped replying to my messages and emails, wouldn't pick up when I called, and about three weeks later, I received an email from his colleague, Li Bo, 
saying my father had been missing for over 20 days and that he feared my father had been taken by Chinese agents for political reasons, relating to his publishing business in Bookstore. And so that's his daughter. They call her Angela Gui. Um, and she is the daughter. Michael's real name, of course, is known by Gui Minhai. And that is uh, the name that he is referred to in the testimony before the U.S. Human Rights Committee. So she's testifying, but there's very little the United States could do. The United States was not involved in this. They, um, uh, Michael is not a citizen of the United States, but it concerns everyone around the world that is praying and working to get materials to the Chinese Christians. So the question now that we would like to ask is where's Michael now? Where's he being held? Does anybody know? Well, we can't say exactly where he's at, but we have a pretty good idea about the conditions that he's been living in. We know kind of the situation that he's in because we've worked with many individuals throughout China that have found themselves in a similar kind of situation. And they have been held at secret prisons. And we believe Michael has also been held at a secret prison. What is a secret prison? We want to tell you on the next Back to Jerusalem podcast, we want to bring you back and give you a rare peek inside of the secret prisons inside of China. We have several individuals that have testified to us about what they've been like. We have a book that's coming out in October from a special sister who was held at a secret underground women's prison. Now, if you like this program, then we would like we would ask you to give a shout out to our production manager Chase Weatherly, our visual department Stone Johnston, our public representative Belinda Chadwell. And remember, this episode is brought to you by the letter N, as in never really done in a studio. And we would like to apologize to any atheists or critics who have been offended by this program, and we would like to ask for your kind forgiveness. We actually offend you on purpose because we need the practice of asking for forgiveness. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you. There's a simple way for us to help ISIS victims. Drink tea. It's that simple. By drinking a cup of Back to Jerusalem Chinese tea, you will bring hope to the refugees displaced by ISIS. It is a healthy way to make a difference. So invite friends and family to your home for a Bible study round a warm pot of organic Chinese tea. Does your church have a cafe? Add Back to Jerusalem tea to the menu. All profits go to help ISIS victims in Iraq and Syria. My name is Jung, and I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. It is considered quite dangerous for me to share the contents of this book, but these are stories that need to be told for God's glory and the encouragement of the church. So begins the extraordinary first-person account of a prominent leader of one of the largest underground churches in China.
This dramatic true story is told in Back to Jerusalem's latest book, I Stand with Christ by Eugene Bach. I Stand with Christ is a detailed account about a former Communist Party member who took a stand for his faith in Jesus and was targeted for prison, work camps, and torture. See how he goes from the prison cell of China's maximum security prison to leading one of the largest underground house churches of 10 million believers. Be amazed at this true story of suffering, sacrifice, and triumph. I Stand With Christ is available at www.backtojerusalem.com or where books are sold.